your Bible, turn over to Revelation chapter 21. And as you're turning to Revelation chapter 21, we have served Saturday. This Saturday we're going to be meeting, doing a prayer walk in our community, picking up some trash. Uh, Greg said for me to uh, ask everybody that can go, we're going to be meeting at, at the City Hall at 2 o'clock on Saturday. Okay, So if you have any more questions about that, you can see me uh, after uh, service tonight. Uh, Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to look at this together. Um, I love this, this passage because it is part of a believer's hope what we're going to look at tonight. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read these words together. Verse number 1 reads like this. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was also no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adored for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with him and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and they're faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the un abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burns with brimstone, which is second death. Father, we thank you so much for your word tonight. Give clarity, give understanding. Lord, simplify the, the difficult and help us to understand exactly where we are tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening everybody. We're glad you're here. And we have come to the end of the road. Uh, tonight is the last and final installment of a 16-part teaching on the 16 fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God. We've been going through this. We've been looking at this for the last couple of months. And we started... Uh, looking at just our base doctrines on what we believe, and uh, it's been a joy. I don't know if you've enjoyed it. I hope that you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed teaching it to you because I like to expound on the truths of God's Word and bring them down to where we understand them. I believe it's vitally important that we know what we believe. Amen? And uh, it's important to know what we believe, and it's important for us to be able to communicate that to others when necessary. Um, We've been in a series entitled, We Believe, and been expounding on our core doctrines of what we believe from the Scripture, anything from the Trinity to water baptism to communion to the Holy Spirit's ministry, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the rapture of the church, which is the blessed hope. We've looked at um, the, the millennial reign, the 1,000-year reign of Christ. We've looked at the inspiration of Scripture, the deity of Christ, the salvation of man, the fall of man, you name it. And tonight, here we are at the end of the road, number 16, talking about the new heavens and the new earth. 
And I believe that it's going to help all of us to understand it a little bit together. Well, let's read this truth together if we can. Fundamental Truth 16. Uh, my notes are in our church app. If you have that, that's why I always say read it together. But I'll read it for those of you who aren't on there. Here's what it says. It says, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. I want you to imagine something tonight. Imagine somebody planning a trip to a new and exciting destination and they receive a travel brochure, right, from a travel agency, okay? Then all of a sudden, this brochure is filled with beautiful pictures, beautiful descriptions of a place, and as they arrive, they realize that that brochure did not accurately uh, portray the place in which they were visiting. You know, we would all be devastated. We'd want a money back, a refund. We would be at the front desk saying, you know what, I didn't pay for this. Now, that's funny for all of us to think about. I actually had an experience like that one time. I'm pretty laid back. I'm not uh, really uptight when it comes to travel because I try to do research and my family's going. And, and uh, we were in Arkansas one time and uh, we were just kind of making a little ministry trip and uh, in a little time of transition in our life. And we were like, you know, let's take a few days. We're going to take a few days and we're going to just relax as a family and we're going to go to Hot Springs and walk the strip, as they say, and go to all the little shops. And So anyway, I started looking online. You know, I want you to know something. Just because it's online doesn't mean it's true. Amen? Uh, just because it's online doesn't mean it's true. We begin to look for, for good places to stay, good hotels. These were in the days before Airbnb was real popular, you know. We like to stay in those now when we can, but, but uh, we were looking for a good place. And there's this place that looked pretty cool that said, Hot Springs Hotel and Spa. The website was killer. It was nice. The pictures looked great. All of that stuff. We paid our little money, you know. We got to the front desk. We checked in. And when we walked into our room, it was like we had walked into the twilight zone. It stunk. It smelled like mildew. Went into the bathroom. And there were rust all over um, the, the, the shower handles, the, the, the spigot where the water comes out was, was kind of hanging on. We looked outside of the room. There was trash lined up all down the hallway. And then all of a sudden, some person came walking by dressed in a weird costume. And I said, what in the world is going on? It was in the month of October, by the way. Somebody said, well, there's a haunted house tour. I said, we're in the wrong place. We're in the wrong place. I was literally looking for a place by the bed to put a quarter in, you know, to make it shake back and forth. It was one of them weird places. So immediately I went down to the front and I said, hey, we got to get us a refund. So we got our little refund and we went down to the country inn and suites and had ourselves a good old time. But the point I'm trying to make is um, a lot of times we think something is one way and we get there and we find out it's totally different. Because what we have read, what we have heard, what we have experienced is not exactly like that. And what I'm finding is when I talk to a lot of people who are not real churched, when I talk to a lot of people who are not real deep in their faith or new in their faith, they have all types of weird ideas when it comes to heaven and the afterlife and what it's going to be like. There are some people, they get their theology from Hallmark movies at Christmas time. You know, uh, every time 
the bell rings and the angel gets his wings. You know, all this weird stuff. And you see the angels that are on Christmas tree ornaments and, you know, it's like a little baby with diaper on, with a harp. You know, the Bible never ex- describes angels that way. In fact, anytime somebody had a visitation of an angel in the Scripture, they usually ended up with them falling on their face in fear. It's pretty, pretty devastating. I mean, there are different types of angels. Tonight I didn't come to teach on angels, but there are different types of angels. And, and some of them were, were valiant warrior angels. And there are some angels that Ezekiel described with uh, a, like a wheel in the middle of a wheel covered with eyes. Like something you would see out of a Star Trek movie or something like that. And so we get oftentimes our ideas about theology and about God and about heaven and about hell from the movies. And then I think a lot of people are going to be surprised when we actually get into eternity and figure out and find out what it's really like. The sad thing though is that the Scripture tells us exactly what heaven's going to be like. Scripture tells us what it's going to be like. Scripture tells us what's going to be happening when we get there. Um, All these great things. And so tonight, this last fundamental truth, we're actually going to look at it and we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about heaven. And let me back you up just a little bit for those of you who are just jumping in tonight. We had been talking about various things. Uh, We have been talking about the blessed hope, which is the rapture of the church. We talked about that singular event right there initiates a seven-year period of what the Scripture says, hell on earth. It's time of tribulation like the earth has never ever experienced. Total, total chaos. The first three and a half years are, are, are bad, but they're sort of calm in comparison to the last three and a half years. Those are called, it's called greater or great tribulation. Well, the Antichrist comes to power, all of that stuff, and people are, you know, it's the mark of the beast, it's all the stuff that we hear about. And then we came to the point of, at the end of that time, when the Lord comes and smites the Antichrist, and He sets up a literal 1,000 year reign kingdom on the earth. Christ is ruling with a rod of iron, you've got these Israelites who are saved out of great tribulation, which the Bible talks about Israel being saved out of tribulation. There, there's these natural people that are there. Then you've got the resurrected saints and the glorified bodies. And the Bible says that Satan is bound in the, in the abyss for a thousand years. And then at the end of that thousand years, we talked about it last week, it's a little bit crazy, he is released for a season. I don't know. I wouldn't have done it that way, but I'm not God. I'm so thankful I'm not God. He's got big responsibilities and he got to make big decisions and I'm glad I'm not the judge or the jury. Amen. And so he let, he let them go. And of course, theologically, we know that he had to let, them, let Satan go so that the people that were on the earth at that time in their natural bodies, those Israelites and those people, they had to make a choice whether to follow Christ of their own free will and volition or not. Of course, the Bible tells us that, that people revolted with Satan. They took his side. Can you imagine living with Jesus on the earth, in the flesh? I mean, like reach out and touch somebody. You can really reach out and touch him. Can you imagine living with Jesus on the earth, under his rule, under his perfect government, with no Satan to tempt? He's bound. 
And then all of a sudden, you would think people, everybody would want to follow Christ, but they didn't. They led a revolt. That, that uh, ended up culminating with the Lord destroying His enemies, adversaries. There's the judgment that happens right there, that white throne judgment we talked about last week of the wicked dead. All of those who were not found written in the Lamb's book of life, what? Were cast into the lake of fire. It's that eternal damnation. Which, by the way, I didn't really harp on it a whole lot last week, but it's important for us to realize that it is eternal damnation. You know, there are people who believe in something that's called the doctrine of annihilation. To annihilate something means to blow it to smithereens. Like it's a one and done. And it's gone. Like there's some people, they say, well, we believe in a hell, but we don't believe it lasts forever. Such people would be like the Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't believe in an eternal hell. They believe in annihilation. But Jesus said it is eternal fire. That it goes forever and ever. And it never lets up. The smoke of their torment goes up day and night and they have no rest. It's a horrible place. Well, all of that happens, and then this natural earth that you and I know right now, there's national parks, the mountains, the seas, the oceans, people take trips just to go and see the ocean. Well, let me tell you what, when all of this stuff is said and done, this place is not going to be like we know it today. Peter said that the earth shall melt with fervent heat and the elements shall melt it all away. This earth, everything people work for, their cars, their possessions, their boats, their houses, all of these things, God completely renovates earth. This time He does it with fire. I know you're good Bible students tonight, so let me ask you a question. It's totally appropriate to shout out the answer. The first time we have recorded in Scripture when God uh, totally destroyed the earth was with what? Water, right? That was in the time of Noah's flood. We find that story in Genesis 5 and 6 and 7 and, and God completely destroyed the earth with the flood, gave us the rainbow, which by the way belongs to God and not the ABC people. Hallelujah. The rainbow is a sign of God's promise that He will not flood the earth again. So this time when God renovates the earth, He renovates it with fire. Consuming fire. The Bible says in that day, powers of the earth, heavens were shaken. Everything fled away from the presence of God. And then that brings us perfectly set up to Revelation 21. And I want us to read it. Revelation 21 verse 1. Now, I saw a new, everybody say new, so it's not, it's not like, I mean, it, it, it may be like the one that we're on right now, but it's not the same one. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And notice this, there was no more sea. Can you imagine what this world, yes, the lights are flickering, I don't know what's going on, but uh, I don't want you to be distracted by that. We'll check it out tomorrow. But I want you to, I want you to get something because all this stuff is not important as what I'm saying tonight. So I want you to get this. The new heavens and the new earth are completely renovated. Now, 
a lot of times, what destroys germs? A lot of times when you, you know, fire or heat, you boil something or whatever. Well, this earth prior to this renovation was stained with the curse of sin. Okay? Found in Genesis chapter 1 where Adam and Eve transgressed, sin came into the world. What happened? It completely messed everything up. The, the whole world just started spinning out of kilter and, and the ground got hard and thorns and thistles and pregnancy became unbearable and there's all types of stuff that happened because of the curse. But this renovation of fire destroys anything that resembles the curse. And God completely makes something brand new. So I want you to catch that. It is a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. So imagine the globe and all the land mass that we would have if there were no oceans. Think about it. Then he says, a little bit further, he says, uh, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, informed, uh, adorned by her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, he will be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. He says, there shall be no more pain, for the former things passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are faithful and true, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderer, the sexual immoral, uh, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burns with brimstone, which is the second death. If you're breaking this passage down in a couple of sections, the first one that I want to talk to you tonight about is, number one, it's the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. The coming of the new heaven and the new earth. Think about this. It's all completely renovated. John, in a vision, saw this coming down out of heaven. Now, this is interesting, right? I want you to wrap your mind around this. Anybody remember the story from Exodus, right? Whenever Moses went up on top of Mount Sinai and God said, come up here, Moses. I want to talk to you. And he began to show him some things. The Bible says Moses went up. God came down. There was smoke and thunder. And the Bible says that at the base of the mountain, they heard God speaking in a loud voice. There was the Ten Commandments. But while Moses was on top of that mountain, God gave him instructions for the tabernacle, for the temple. He told him what to make and how to make and what size it was. And it was according to the heavenly tabernacle. What Moses was making is what John saw coming down out of heaven. Think about that. What Moses was making a replica of for here on earth is what is what John saw coming down out of heaven. There was a new heaven and a new earth coming down 
It says the first had passed away because it was completely renovated by fire. Notice he said it was like a city, like a bride that was adorned for her husband. We talk about the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Um, In the analogy that Scripture gives us, Christ is our bridegroom and the inhabitants of the new Jerusalem are the bride of Christ. It's amazing. We're all in this place with Jesus. Now, I want to go a little bit quicker tonight. and I want to look at the little second section here. The second section is the glory of of the new heavens and the new earth. I want you to notice the glory of the new heavens and the new earth, number one is this, is that God's presence is always there. Now, God's presence is always with us here. I've taught this before. God is omnipresent. That's a big word. It means He's everywhere at all places at the same time. Just like He's omniscient, which omniscience means He's all knowledge. He knows everything. People think... People think this artificial intelligence is something. It don't have nothing on God. God knows everything. The Bible also says He's omnipotent, omnipotent. He's all-powerful. But I want to talk about this omnipresence. There's the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere at all times. But then there's the manifested presence of God. In other words, God is everywhere at all times, but how many of you know there's times when you feel His presence? Yeah. Okay, that's the difference. The the manifest presence of God is when you feel His presence, and that's what heaven's going to be like. He is going to be our God, and we are going to be His people. We will always be forever in the presence of the Lord. That's heaven. I love it. That's heaven. Oh, I got a shocking news for some. There's a lot of people think, think they think they're going to heaven, but they don't like spending time with God on earth. They're going to be miserable in heaven. I don't like all that worship. I don't like all that praise. I don't like all that talking to Jesus. That's what we're going to do in eternity. Amen. Forever and forever. It's going to be a, 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 the presence of God forever. Okay? Now, let's look at this. Then he said there's going to be some things that are going to be absent in this new heaven and new earth. There's going to be an absence of sorrow. Sorrow. Scripture says he wipes away the tears from their eyes. I don't know if you've ever had a life of pain, a life filled with heartache, disappointment. You've cried yourself to sleep. You've struggled over the loss of loved ones. You've struggled over rejection struggle over all of the things that life brings and affords to us as we live here on this sin-stained, cursed earth. The Bible says in heaven that there will be no more sorrow. Thankful for that. There won't be any sorrow. Then he said there's not going to be any pain either. Now, a lot of times when we think of pain... We associate that 100% of the time with the physical pain. I hit myself, it hurts. I stub my toe, it hurts. I have a headache, I have a stomach ache. We, we associate that. But what if it's so much more bigger than that? There's emotional pain. There's agony of the soul. 
think it's a little different than sorrow. But there's pain that will be completely absent in heaven. Let's talk about this physical pain for a second. We believe in healing. We preach healing. We pray for the sick. But we all know that in this sin-stained, sick world that we live in, there are still people that we know, even godly people, they still have ailments. They still struggle for whatever reason. We get in a mess trying to figure all that out. But let me tell you something. There are people that spend their whole life on this earth in pain. I think about that person who has a pain pump that has to have pain management all the time and they love Jesus. And, and, and they, they have to have that medication because it, there's something wrong with their back or their vertebrae or there's something wrong neurologically that causes pain. But, you know, the cool thing is, is that when you get a new body, there's no pain. No pain. There is no pain. I heard something pretty cool this week. You know, Jesus, when he was going to the cross, when they were whipping him and they were scourging him as he was walking up Golgotha's hill, he felt every lash. He felt uh, every single accusation. They pulled out his beard by the root. Listen, I don't even like to pull one hair out at a time. Come on, somebody. It hurts. Especially if it's in a sensitive spot. Can you imagine having a, your beard ripped out by the root? Jesus did. He felt all that pain. But do you know that whenever Jesus resurrected, he was in the glorified body, he revealed himself to his disciples, he still had some scars. Thomas saw the scars. The disciples saw the scars. But guess what? He didn't have any pain. See, when you get to heaven, there's no sorrow, there's no pain. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Then there's something else about heaven. Right after that, in that next verse, it says, and there is no more death. I got a question for some of you. Anybody tired of going to funerals? I mean, you know, you expect older folks to die this is a part of life, but you know, we, we have tragedies or we have unexpected uh, crises in life where things happen and we weren't expecting them and it causes our whole world to spiral out of control. But in heaven, there's no more death. Thankful for that. Death is such a painful part of life, but yet it's a part of life. But in heaven, there's no more pain. Physical death is violated forever. I want to go over to the next section really quick, and I want to look at the inhabitants of the new heaven. Verse 5 says, He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are true and they're faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Notice this. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God. He shall be my son or my child. See, look at the inhabitants of the new heavens and the new earth. Who's going to be there? Well, heaven's going to be a place where the redeemed are there. The redeemed, those who have submitted their lives to Christ, those who have submitted to his lordship, they've said yes to his plan, those people who have given their lives going to be heaven. Scripture tells us 
It'll be made up of every tribe, every kindred. Heaven's going to be a beautiful place. There's going to be white people in heaven, black people in heaven, polka dot people in heaven. Come on. Listen, I come from a real strong racial area of the United States. I remember being in school uh, in the fourth and fifth grade, we had a we had a, sw- a public swimming pool that uh, you weren't. They actually that didn't allow memberships of people of of color. And a lot of these people who went there, they went to church every Sunday. But I got a feeling that when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a white section or a black section or a Chinese section. I got a feeling there's just going to be a red section. The blood of Jesus. Amen? Either you have it or you don't. The inhabitants of the new heaven and the new earth are going to be filled with those who have overcome. The inheritance of the faithful will be everlasting life with God in a place no sorrow no pain. The blessings of the faithful be the fact live in such a serene place with God forever. No sorrow, no sin, no curse, nothing of that. The wonderful time. So unfortunately, John's having this vision, which by the way, if you've never studied the historical background of the book of Revelation, you should do yourself a favor and check it out. Um, John was exiled as an old man the Isle of Patmos. They tried to kill him. He escaped. They tried to boil him in oil. He slipped away. Exiled to the Isle of Patmos. It's around 90 A.D. or so. God, as an old man, showed him what was to come. Had him write on parchment seven churches of Asia Minor. These churches, he wrote them um, commendations, congratulated them on some things they were doing great, corrected them on some things that they weren't doing so great. The book of Revelation is a great book to read. But as we get to this passage of the new heaven and the new earth, part of it makes us happy, joyous, because man, what a day that will be. By Jesus, we shall see. I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace. But the verse, the chapter, doesn't stop there. And this is what keeps up at night. I want you to read it a little further with me. It says, but, somebody say but, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral. I want to pause right there and I want you to notice it doesn't just say homosexual. Amen. A lot of times we, we think God God's okay with, a little bit more okay with one than the other. 
but they're both sexually immoral, and if you read, one of them is abominable. So, he covers all of them. Notice what he says. He says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, that's those who practice witchcraft, idolaters, and all liars shall have their place in the lake of fire which burns with brimstone, which is the second death. So the last section of this is the exclusion. Number four, the exclusion from the new heavens and the new earth. And here's the reality, folks. Everybody's not going. Hear what Hallmark says. It doesn't matter what Oprah says. It doesn't matter what pop culture says, what pop psychology says. I got news for you. It doesn't matter how much money Uncle Bill gave to the church if he didn't know Jesus. It doesn't matter how sweet Grandma was if Grandma didn't know Jesus. Because we're not getting into heaven because of how good we are. We're only getting to heaven because of how good He is and that we've recognized our own sinfulness and that we've said, yes, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. There's an exclusion from the new heaven and new earth. Notice he says the unfaithful, the the wicked, the unbelieving. Notice he looks at their consequences here. He says they will have their part in the lake of fire, which is the second. Look at that verse one more time. I'm closing with this. Verse 8. Look at the last part of that. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Notice this next phrase. Which is, underline this in your Bible if you're an underliner or a note taker. Which is the, say it with me, the second death. Now I want to give you something really cool. and I'm going to close on this note. Jesus, back in John chapter 3, okay? Back in John chapter 3, uh, whenever Nicodemus came to him, said, good master, you know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, what did Jesus say? Come on, how many Bible scholars do I have in the room? What did Jesus say? He said, you must be born, uh, huh? born again. Okay? You must be born again. That means you're born once, you're born twice. Get this. If you're born twice, you only die once. The Bible says there's the first death, and here it said the second death. The second death is eternal judgment. So listen, if you're born twice, you only die once. Flesh. You don't spiritually die. But if you're only born once, die twice. Think about it. You're born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. I said it Sunday, I'm going to say it again. The only thing better than going to heaven, as good as going to heaven is, is taking somebody with you. And counterwise, the only thing worse than going to hell pretty bad in my book, is taking somebody with you. I think this verse should serve a reminder to us that everybody's not going to heaven, so it should solidify 
our evangelistic effort in sharing the gospel with the lost. It's to solidify our, mes- our, our efforts for world missions. To speed the gospel around the world to people who've never heard. This, this is, this last one, this number 16, this is, friend, what all of us in this room, I hope, are racing towards. Spend eternity with Jesus. But I don't want us to forget about verse 8. Because there's some people who aren't going. And I wonder how many of those people you know. I wonder how many of those people are in your family. I wonder how many of those people live under the same roof as you. Or they, they study in the same classroom as you. The truth is, how will they ever know? Unless we tell them. Can I be real honest with you? Close your Bible. That's the official sign of pastors done preaching. Okay? I want to be honest with all of you. If you guys are waiting for your friends, your family, to on their own free will and volition, wake up in the middle of the night, say, I'm going to church tomorrow before, you, before they hear about Jesus, it may be too late. They may never walk in these doors. So who has to tell them? We all have a responsibility to share the love of God. To tell people Jesus is the only hope. We don't have Christ. We don't have anything. If you don't want to fear death and you don't want to fear what's on the other side, then we have to tell them Jesus is the only hope. Well, I'm not good enough. You don't have to be. He was good enough. He just says if you just admit that you're a sinner, you believe that He's the Son of God and that He rose again on the third day and He conquered death, hell, and the grave and you would just confess Jesus is Lord, He said, you'll be saved. Folks, y'all can do that. Amen. Why don't you go win a soul this week? Stand up on your feet. Let me pray.